Hey, what's going on, Champagne Sharks? This is T. Um, go to tw go to Twitter, see us at Champagne Sharks, but not really, because what's really the point? Go instead to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks and become a patron. Go to, where should we go to? You know what, let me think. Yeah, you know what, that's pretty much it. I don't feel like doing a big, a big lengthy house cleaning today. And we have with us as guest co-host, uh, Andre Domis. Wait, can you actually hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, what's going on, it's Andre. Um, don't really have anything to introduce. It's just it, it's, it's just me, me and these for the streets. Okay, cool. And uh, we have with us our guest, Matt Crisman from Chapel Trap House. Hi guys, happy to be here. And on the off chance that people don't know who the Trapo Trap House is because nowadays it isn't like before where like everyone who came to the show like knew who you were sometimes like we get people who have no idea what any of the inside baseball is when we talk about it so now I try to take nothing for granted so just uh, give the elevator pitch to Trapo Trap House well uh, if you like politics and you like comedy, I might have a podcast for you. Uh, me and my friends, Felix, Will, Amber, uh, and sometimes Virgil, I uh, like to get around the old Cracker Barrel and uh, talk the news of the week uh, through a kind of a, a cockeyed glance at the headlines of the day. Okay, that's that's a good way to put it. It sounds so official the way you make it sound. I feel like it's a, it's a little crazier than that. But uh, I mean, I feel like it's not. I feel like it's not an understatement to say like you guys have kind of. I mean, is, is movement too strong? Would you say movement is too strong? I mean, if we're talking about, uh, I guess it refer. I guess it depends on what you're referring to specifically. Do you mean just of podcasts? Because uh, yes, certainly. Uh, I think we we were instrumental in the creation of like a, a new podcast paradigm. But uh, beyond that, I don't I don't know if there's anything that we are responsible for directly. Let me ask you this. Do you think you guys are like very controversial? And it's interesting because the controversy kind of goes beyond a lot of stuff you actually do or say. Like there is a lot of just straight up people invent, invent things, you know. And do you have anything that you would say is actual valid criticism that you hear sometimes that you think, okay, you know what? That might be something that is fair. Like, cause there's so much sort of Gwen Snyder type stuff. Like this lady who has basically um, declared you guys a one-way ticket to fascism. Like, yes. Yeah. The, the, the Chapo to Fash pipeline, notorious yeah. for its many inhabitants. Yeah, in the midst of that, like, like, is there any? Uh... But hold up, hold up, T. I yeah. think you got, you got to put a little bit of emphasis on the fact that when she does these threads, they're like three hundred and forty nine tweets long. Oh so, yeah, like yeah. you can't just be like a quick pithy like, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, here's here's the uh, the Chapel Fash pipeline, and here's why. You know, it's got to be like she's she writes a fucking telenovela. She she, every time she, she is, does one of these threads. She's that always uh, sunny in Philadelphia meme where the guy Charlie has a giant map of a whole bunch of things. Her tweet threads are like that map behind. Charlie, have you guys ever seen that meme where he's like putting together a giant? Oh yeah, Pepe Sylvia. Yeah, yeah. She she's she basically gaslights herself. Like halfway through the meme, she basically convinces herself of something that, like, I think she starts off like knowing she's full of shit, but by the end, I think she actually convinces herself, you know, of the thread that she's actually uh, cracked cracked the code. Oh yeah, no, it's a lot of this is all auto. A lot of it's all auto hypnosis because you can't sell someone on something until you've sold yourself on it so what is what is the um what would you say is like uh some of the more valid criticisms of chapel that you think you know okay we, we can work on that. that that's an actual valid uh thing i would say obviously forgetting any specific t uh arguments somebody might have with a take any of us have or an opinion or a or a prediction those might there are probably more of those than i could count you know, specific oopsies. Uh, but in terms of structural critiques of the show as it 
itself. I would say that there's validity to the argument that we're, we offer a relatively uh, skewed and sheltered vision of the American left due to our demographics. Uh, but I, I would just counter that with that's true, but also sort of irrelevant to the question of, you know, whether you just want to listen to it or not. It's, uh, uh, it's kind of just an observation really more than a criticism. Uh, the other one is the degree to which we give the impression that our show uh, somehow transcends entertainment, transcends um, uh, the indulgence of the audience, like in, it, that we are anything other than something people listen to at work or uh, on commute, something to give them entertainment and maybe some information that they could use or not use in their own lives. Uh, well, that kind of was a Daily Show Colbert uh, tension or dilemma back in the arts. Where, yeah, right. You know. and, and, uh, and the difference is, is that the only difference is not, as I see it is that what, what he was alighting was trying to take a stand at all. Because remember, when it came time to stand up against the Tea Party reaction to Obama, his idea was have a rally that doesn't stand for anything. A rally about tone, a rally about aesthetic. So That's because, sanity, yeah. That's because his version of I'm just a comedian meant that he could not uh, embody a point of view. Uh, we don't have that. We aren't. We don't have that. When when we say it, I think that what we're distinguishing is between whether our show a primarily or like in its essence an entertainment product or a piece of activism. And I think on that point, I don't think that it is. I I think it's it's just. It's just undeniable which one we are. But the problem is because of the way people consume media and the way people create political identities, a lot of people, even if they don't know they are, conflate those two. Uh, and that leads to disappointment and uh, uh, unrealistic expectations and, and resentment and, and a lot of other stuff. But it's also, to a degree, unavoidable. But I think also to a degree, I mean, I don't know which personalities in the group feel which tension, but I always feel like after a while, sometimes people start ending up feeling the pull to like, oh, we got to show some responsibility or we have to do something with this um, platform. Because uh, I remember, I feel like the early uh, Daily Show with Stewart and the early Colbert would not have even entertained the reality to restore uh, insanity. And then I felt they kind of got high on their own supply and by the end, and it was a terrible idea because, I mean, the one distinction that I would make between what you said, it might be a distinction without a difference. I used to think that it stood for nothing. But after the past couple of years of seeing centrism and liberalism in action, I feel like centrism or moderate liberalism or whatever you want to call it, that type of like Upper West Side NPR tote bag liberalism, it really is more than just an absence of belief. Like that tepidness, that middle of the roadness on th that Sorkinism is, is that's a terrible word, Sorkinism is, whatever. But you know no, what I mean. It, and it is. It, it is its own ideology. That is, you know, wh whatever uh, social frictions that, that exist can be fixed not through policy, but by agreeing with each other. Yeah, better things aren't possible. Everyone should try to shake hands at the end of the day no matter how contentious it gets like that's a like it's more than just an absence of ideals like that is a it's and that kind of even makes it scarier yeah absolutely you've been on this a live stream kick lately and yes i was a little disappointed because you were going to some pretty far out places and you've reined it in lately and i, I got a little disappointed I, I wanted to see where you were like was that a was that a deliberate choice or uh, i mean it was a deliberate choice in the sense one that uh people were kind of telling me to reel it in that they were finding it harder and harder to follow the train I was trying, train of thought I was trying to create, uh, and I 
my main concern was maintaining legibility to the audience because if I didn't maintain that, then there was really no point in me talking at all. So I stopped for that reason. I uh, One reason I pulled back and another reason is I felt like I did not have the confidence of my language to feel like I could continue at that level of abstractness uh, without alienating the audience. But I think uh, I've found that, you know, through specific topics and specific questions, I can build from the ground up towards uh, the more elevated concepts in a way that doesn't lose anybody and that I think over time, cumulatively, will increase, uh, decrease the translation gap between me uh, and the audience. That's the hope anyway. One of the problems, I think, with this instant feedback thing, like it's kind of good in that the instant feedback, you know, through the form of seeing a chat stream on the side is really, it kind of helps for that instant course correction. But I also think sometimes it's a bad thing because uh, I think it makes you kind of neurotic sometimes. I don't mean you specifically, I just mean you, the general you, as someone who's like started streaming. Like, yeah. You know, as you're talking, I've done like single person podcasts where I just sit in the room for two hours with something semi-scripted or some general idea. And I just go and ramble on. And I think it might sound a little out there, but I just put it out there. And, you know, people have a more of a patience with it. But I feel like now that I've been streaming and I try to do it on a stream, that instant feedback thing is like a mixed, it's like a mixed blessing. I'm not sure fully how I feel about it. It's kind of good. It's an easy way to generate content ask, answer questions, stuff like that. But for the type of stream of consciousness stuff, it's easy to kind of um, get thrown off by it. Yeah, you have to maintain a balance. I mean, I, I feel like I'm trying to do that. I, I'm just, I am very much aware that uh, I'm, I'm coming at, at, at things from a degree of abstraction that is not common uh, in, in political online discourse. So I know that I'm kind of inherently on thinner ice to begin with. And so that makes me more, uh, I guess, a little a little bit more sensitive to feedback than I otherwise would be. I might, uh, stuff that I might, uh, if I was feeling like I was closer to the ground, uh, writing off as, you know, uh, static, I might, I might be more sensitive to just because I know that people are going to be it's going to be a little bit more of a struggle for people than they're used to so i can't go too fast i would also say that like what does it really matter because nobody really has answers right now and everybody's just kind of freestyling it you know what i mean it doesn't matter how long you sit down and think of uh or or try to create analysis or synthesize anything none of us have the fucking answers so whatever gets rattled off in freeform fashion i don't think really has that much of an impact anyway it's it's someone listening to somebody else for the sake of just hearing what they're about in that moment. Oh yeah, we're not, I'm, yeah mostly, we're not build, yeah. I'm mostly referring to uh, to my own ability to like confidently continue. I'm not really expecting any kind of uh, anything to come out of it for the audience. That's that's like a second order concern. My first is you know feeling like I'm I'm contributing in a way that makes me feel like I am at you know one with my uh, with my true will, and so that means that I have to uh, maintain that connection. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm mostly concerned with. Well, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I'm not going to say what was going on behind the scenes that, uh, was pushing you in that direction because the first couple of, of logs were, you know, kind of on the ground political stuff, like what's happening post Bernie, et cetera. And then yeah. you, you just did like a hard shift, like, uh, almost oh, like it a was little, pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. Like a little epiphany happened. And I was like, Oh, I want to see where this goes, but I'm into that kind of stuff. I like trying to follow train of thought like that. And I was wondering like what happened behind the scenes, if you had just like a really good trip or uh-huh. you, you read a really good book or, you know. Uh, yeah, it was a trip in my backyard. I uh, 
just I had a moment of silence where I could honestly just reflect in a, without my mind being crowded. And the thing is, is that I had been pushed to that point by the prolonged crisis I'd been placed in ever since we got back from our tour. Uh, I can't, there's never been a more dramatic moment of whiplash in my life going from uh, believing that we were helping Bernie Sanders become president in some small way contributing to that, uh, maybe moving the this this dying beast somewhat uh, a little farther from its inevitable demise, going from that to defeated and quarantined for a fucking plague. Uh, it was such a dramatic shift that it really threw everything I thought I knew into complete question, including my own beliefs, my uh, my confidence in myself as a as someone anyone should ever listen to about anything, about the future, uh, personally, f- uh, professionally, everything. And, that was a tough convergence. Yeah. You know, and, the Sanders thing and the COVID thing, it was a really tough It was, yeah, and so I basically had to sit with it because I was denied any kind of escape for distraction, and I think just those two things being in the same space at the same time something had to give and uh at some point i just sitting in my back porch area just i felt like a crink that had been in my neck for longer than i'd remember just disappeared and i just lost just this tension that i'd been carrying and i was just so surprised and elated by it that i've been basically focusing ever since on maintaining my connection to that feeling Uh, Something I'm going to say real quick. I originally had this idea for this episode, like one part of it being about just kind of that big picture stuff that you had going on, then the other part being nuts and bolts politics. But I feel like that's going to be a very artificial and unnatural divide to try to force on the structure of the conversation. So, I mean, I personally would just let it go where it goes and we can go back and forth, you know? Yeah, yeah. But A a question I wanted uh, to ask, though. uh, I mean, just, just, you know, I, I think we're all feeling that same nihilism. Like, what does any of us know about anything i mean you know for those uh people who supported the sanders campaign i mean i was i was somewhat critical of it myself but i'm, I'm coming at it from a, a left perspective um what does anyone do now and then here's the question is there a reason to care about electoralism or the election coming up i mean if uh, the new york times today uh baskar sanskara runs an article uh Basically explaining how it is that in <clears throat> 2016, something like 88% of Bernie voters voted for Hillary Clinton after the uh, the primaries were over. And to me, that's falling into this the very same trap that uh, a few people did with the Washington Post last week. It was like Latasha Brown, Tiffany Cross, Brittany Packett, Alicia Garza, Angela Rye, and Amanda Seals. I think I'm missing somebody there, but... You know, <clears throat> wrote an article talking about black women being the most reliable block of voters. Well, to me, it's like, but you're 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 giving away your negotiating position when you say, "Oh, don't worry about us. We're safe. We're going to vote for you now. Help us out." If they can already rely on you as voters, then what the fuck do they have to give you? You know what I mean? So, should anyone even care about this election? Well, that's honestly where this whole grill pill thing started. It was first for me, and then for the listeners, just a cute little uh, slogan to associate with the idea that this election is for you for all purposes for you as far as you're concerned and your interest and, and passion and and effort should go it's over uh and you should stop caring about it because the thing i feared both for myself and then seeing other people was it, to cope with the the collapse of the sanders campaign by indulging in a guerrilla war with biden supporters online over who will be responsible for trump getting reelected and i just saw that being a sterile and honestly sort of 
a criminal abdication of responsibility just to think about things closer to you when we're in such a horrifyingly tenuous moment. Uh, and I, people need to, the, when I tell people to log off, it's because there's definitely something closer to your life. So even if it could be an electoral campaign or mutual aid or whatever it is, that is more important, uh, 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 a union drive, something like that, a strike, anything is more a more useful sink for your times and energy than anything related to this presidential election. Uh, it is alien versus predator, and you have to really embrace that. And I feel like the reason people argue with people so much online and try to defend themselves is because they carry that that small voice that's still in their head telling them, "Oh, you don't want to be, you don't want Trump to get reelected, do you? Oh, is this, is this, are you sure? And they have to stamp that out by, by yelling at Biden supporters. Just like Biden supporters are trying to sublimate their anxiety that they picked a dog who's going to get his ass kicked by blaming Sanders people. It's both this display sense of incipient guilt. And I just say to my fellow Sanders supporters, lay down your burden. Lay down the guilt, the preliminary guilt for Trump winning. Which one of them wins? We are on a terminal course. Presidential politics has no place right now. It's a, it's a, it is a, the situation is going to change rapidly, and and the conditions are going to shift, and that's going to create new opportunities. But they're not going to be right now or in the near future at the presidential level. I wonder, right? Is like, do you have any particular tensions about what happens now, as far as um, in the micro level, like on your show, in your life, then on the macro level, like what leftist politics looks like, you know, and how the two interact going forward? I mean, I still don't know. That's been my position is is for the past couple of months is that everything seems to be in such a free fall. Such a the analogy I think of always is that there's a point during a earthquake when when the the uh, the dirt between two fault lines will literally liquefy because of how fat much the vibrations are happening, and we are at the point where we are just liquid ground. It's very hard for me to think of anything but the day to day and how we respond to every emerging new reality uh, because it seems if you can't predict what's going to be actually happening on the ground. Uh, I don't know how you can predict how uh, the political superstructure will respond. And even on a bigger level outside of politics, this COVID thing is throwing a big monkey wrench and trying to analyze yeah. and figure out anything. Yeah. It's completely like, I have no fucking idea. Yeah. Like, I have no idea I'm when I'll be able sure to. I'm sure there's going to be an election. In yeah. November. Yeah. I don't know if there's going to be an election. I don't know when's the next time I can sit in a cafe and just read a book. Yeah. I'm fairly know? certain that even if there is not, if there is an election, it will be contested in some significant way. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think there is going to be one. It's just going to have such an, an abysmally low turnout because I don't think that. That anybody sees anything in either of these two can't well i shouldn't say that i will say that like trump voters being fucking psychotic are going to show up because it's just in like in their ideology now like it's now baked into the into the ideology that to capitulate to a fucking pandemic is to capitulate to democrats so they'll be out they have a death urge but uh democratic voters i don't think are willing to throw their life away over a joe biden presidency but th- but they were willing to throw their life away to stop sanders <laughs> like it's so weird they're well, a, weird uh, bunch a, of a lot of them smaller, turned out though much yeah, smaller yeah. Percentage of them. but i mean what i mean is that either way the the either whoever is the declared winner the other party 
will have a legitimate argument that the result is invalid because there's not going to be a universal voting standard from state to state. That's where you see the the Trump attack on mail-in voting. Big the big blue states are going to try to do all mail-in voting, which if they win them, which they will, uh, Trump will probably not refuse to accept those uh, those vote tally, and they'll be in a position to make something out of that. I don't know what that will lead to, but it's a realistic possibility. It's it, because there will be no consistent uh, bipartisan agreement on standards for voting, not just the n- normal annoyance at voting suppression. You will have completely different standards of um, of re- response to the coronavirus. The Texas Supreme Court just said that not wanting to get it is not sufficient reason to ask for an absentee ballot, even though all people over 65 can automatically ask for an absentee ballot without a, re- a reason. Uh, meanwhile, California is doing all absent, uh, all mail-in. That's a rest- Those are two giant uh, voting uh, electoral vote chunks, Republican and Democrat. That's just a huge that's a guarantee for some sort of significant contesting of the results. More so, obviously, if Trump loses, because Biden will roll over pretty quickly if it's yeah, the other way yeah. around. I don't think Democrats really have the heart to really contest. I think um, I could see Trump really contesting. I mean, what do you think is going to happen either way? If if uh, I know it's too early to say, there's a lot of intervening things that can happen. So I already know posing the question that our hands are all kind of tied in making any type of predictions right now. But um, like, what do you think happens if Biden wins versus if Trump? The only thing I think I could say for sure is I think the Democratic Party is kind of destroyed either way, just in different ways. I do actually think that's true. I think that a losing to Trump two times will do significant damage to the credibility of the Democratic Party, even among its own more diehard adherents. Uh, having Biden preside over a depression austerity government, uh, like a hunger chancellery for the United States, a Hoover Hoover administration, uh, will also be disastrous and will essentially demand the creation of some sort of countervailing force. What that'll look like, I don't know. The thing that I wonder a lot is why is so much stuff now seeming so deja vu in a horrible way? And what I mean by that is last time when Trump was running and was getting closer to winning, I feel like Black Lives Matter and all these police shootings and riots were were hitting like a fever pitch. Like it was starting in the tail end of Obama's second term and it carried over into the election. And there was all this horrible energy. And I just feel now, in addition, to covid suddenly that's coming back again it's it's like people that i've seen as far as like in the online like slacktivist circles and stuff have suddenly started um like like people who've spent the past three and a half years just trying to jump to every grift possible you know after black lives matter kind of died you know going to the me too circles going to climate change going to all this stuff like a lot of people are just doubling back around to black lives matter a lot of um White liberals are starting tweets again with fellow whites, comma, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, it's we're all back to 2017. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think I have the energy for it this it time. It feels around. like we're heading back to 2008 in some ways. I mean, obviously, the, the material conditions are much different, but, like, the the type of uh, conversation, like, the type of discourse is heading right back to that, like, One America discourse. And I, and I say that as, like, somebody who's, like, spent a lot of time in the U.S., but is observing from outside. Like, I, I see it as a... A, a tonal shift back to well if we don't restore sanity if we don't do the uh, the John Stewart thing then we're handing over we're handing over like the moral high ground to the barbarians to the socialists we don't want that does that does that come across at all or am i just am i going crazy well i mean the thing is is that 
I think we saw in the primaries that there isn't too much uh, appetite, even among Democratic primary voters, for the Obama stuff because that was Mayor Pete's deal. Uh, he was white Obama. That was his whole shtick. Uh, and he and it didn't. I mean, he did better than his his resume obviously would have suggested, but he still stalled out. He had a pretty low ceiling relative to other candidates. Now. I just don't know where you could even make the play, plea for because 2008, there was a sense, a delusional sense that there was still some sort of American majority for basic decency, by which I mean a shared understanding of America, which I mean a shared tr a degree of trust in certain institutions like the media, uh, you know, uh, the political parties and government as itself. That doesn't exist now. There, you can't even um, you can't even uh, f uh, delude yourself until believing it does, and that means that there is no there is no transcendence to appeal to because everyone has totally internalized the reality that it is purely polarized and that that different political uh, people with different political beliefs effectively live in different realities. Yeah, and I feel like the internet and social media, the filter bubbles have all kind of exacerbated that because I think to the degree that there was uh, fracturing before. There was such a monopoly on the messages that got out. The average person didn't know, like whatever offline equivalent of the alt-right was in any given era, you know, without the internet, no one really had to acknowledge it. You can just kind of do the um, see no evil, hear no evil, you know, whatever, until something blew up or something or something particularly heinous happened. But now it's like, like Hillary had to give uh, alt-right speech. Because too many people in the regular social media lives or whatever were coming across these people. Or these people were able to make a cohesive political movement in a way that couldn't before. Like a lot of people say, oh, the alt-right was very small. It doesn't matter. People are exaggerating it. But I feel like the alt-right were a hyper real version of a bigger kind of movement. So if you look at just the number of people who are alt-right, like sure, maybe they're like a single digit percentage of the population, but they're just the most extreme, extreme uh, internet poison, like social media amplified version of a real current out there. And like, I've met people who told me that they're, they have Facebook grandpas who were watching Milo and who read Breitbart, who were into like Mike Cernovitz, like people you wouldn't even think like, like, I think that that social media internet thing is making it so that, like, I'll use another example, like to be a furry, I'm sure even if you were a kind of person had some weird erotic location error, you know, where you found whatever furries thing is enticing, I'm sure a lot of the adult furries that you have now would have lost it or outgrown it because they were living in some kind of small town where there was no place to express that, you know? There's no place to even make that happen. They either have to move to the big city when they get older or just let that go. But now you go on the internet and within 20 minutes, you find a whole community, you know? And and now suddenly there's millions of furries because they all have like, no one else like them in their town, but they can go on the internet and tap into a bunch of people like that, you know? And I think politics is like that. Like, no matter how crazy or whatever your politics is, you'll find your tribe. Yeah, because, I mean, that's true, but you're also still speaking of politics as subculture. But the thing about politics as subculture is that it doesn't have real-world stakes. And so it's really hard to quantify the degree to which any ideological current online means anything greater than that, uh, unless you see it reflected in actual influence in the world. Uh, and I think in that respect, what the whole alt-right thing was, was just a, a pre-tremor of a coming fracturing of certain social norms that had been agreed to sort of to paper over America's racial disparities uh, uh, over the years 
uh, to accommodate things like civil rights without changing underlying economic conditions. Uh, it was sort of an exchange for, you know, uh, we, will accept, we will detach civil rights from economics in re- exchange for a baseline civic uh, demand for non-racial attitudes among our leaders and people in public. And that pact is going to break down as the economic conditions deteriorate. And those kids online in 2016 were just sort of those earlier pre-tremors because the, the closer you are to something like the internet, the less connected you are to the real world like those people are, the more you're purely operating at the level of politics as pure spectacle and pure symbol. You're going to notice shifts in the superstructure earlier uh, because um, because you know what is taboo, and 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 things become more and more taboo as more pressure is placed on those load-bearing members, and they recognize that, and they pointed out a reality that now is coming into focus in the form of this new sort of heterodox uh, Trump Republicanism, which is explicit on racial issues in a way that Republicans had kind of agreed not to be for a generation. And that is a new thing, and that's a new political formation created by shifting material conditions. Uh, and those alt-right people were you know, the canaries in the coal mine. Yeah, see, but that's what I kind of mean. Like, somebody sees a canary in the coal mine, and they just focus and say, that's one canary, you know? And they just focus on the fact that the canary is just one thing. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, people were very much into the literal size of the alt-right and not the hyper-reality that the alt-right was kind of a symbol of or or, or a signal. Yeah, like, exactly, like, yeah. Like, like a warning sign, you know? And I think uh, people kind of do that a lot. Like, people underestimate... Like, I feel like the internet is kind of like the id right now. Social media, a lot of it is like the id of society. And it reveals, like, a lot of things. And, like, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I felt like you were um, really going in this direction, I wanted to know, like, how far you were going to take it, is I think we all can kind of tell there's something off about being on the internet too much. But there's also something positive about being on it to some degree, uh, even though it's very fashionable to kind of bash it. And it's, that bashing is based in something real. Like, it does keep you abreast of things better than before. It is a great way to kind of reach a lot of people in a short amount of time. So I think just telling people to just get off is not really going to work because there's going to be a lot of stuff happening on there still that needs to be addressed and needs to be monitored or whatever. And, you know, I'll pull this to both you guys. Like, like what do you think about that balance like 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 or is it off altogether that maybe there is doesn't even need to be a balance maybe the real key is to just totally get off of it i think what we're what needs to be distinguished is the positive role that people imagine the internet is having which is as a communication tool which is a way of uh, as in communicating information uh but what it is also is is a place for social life and social and social identity creation and those two uh those two uh, functions of the internet are not, uh, uh, they are at odds with one another in many cases. And I think the key to engaging with the internet productively is to know what parts of the internet are actually useful and are, uh, uh, as in, say, coordinating between people for real world action giving people information about specific things happening in the world and in their in their uh, communities versus everyone throwing their opinion at the wall to see who has the best one that and then using that as the as the sink for their political energies as the place where they go to feel like they are a political being as opposed to going into the real world and acting to feel like they're affecting political change or that you are embodying a political identity. One of the problems I found with the internet, and I feel like it's like drinking, right? Like you ever start before 
the start of a night and you tell yourself, I'm going to have two drinks, you know, and that's it. You have one drink and the actual act of the drinking changes the decision-making aspect of your brain. So, and say, say, say you end up having two drinks, but they're two really strong drinks. Sober you had a total well-reasoned, well-intentioned resolve to think naturally, but now slightly drunk you is in the driver's seat and it's slightly drunk you that's like you know what i can drink six more yeah that's fine absolutely. I, can, I can see it i think the internet's like that like the internet it's easy to, for us to say in this conversation right now yeah you know the, uh, we have to know what the internet's good for and what it's not good for and i feel like we know that the same way when we're sober we know two drinks is what we should be having tonight we have to wake up tomorrow but i think on the internet us is middle of the night two and a half drinks in already us you know and and i think that's kind of the problem that the internet puts affects your brain in a way that you can't even make that that call anymore yeah well that you that's why you need help to make the call that's why you need to be always aware of your effect on other people uh how what happens when you're online like how your identity is interacted with and then trying to respond to those uh responses uh productively and that that means taking them seriously and not assuming that everyone is out to get you or that everyone is secretly on someone's payroll and that that's the only reason anyone could say that you could possibly have be wrong in any case something you said right that it reminded me of a conversation i was in a cafe and i um at the table next to me there was this girl who was part of like this eastern religion this guy sad sad guru or something and I forgot how we started a conversation, but she was talking about auto community service and all this work that she does. And, you know, I was like, wow, I don't really do shit. Like I was listening. I was like, wow, you know, this person does like so many things, you know, and somehow we got into this conversation about how she uses the, the internet and stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm surprised because I felt like someone like you is so like grounded, like she meditates, she does all this stuff. You know, you wouldn't be into going online or on social media and stuff because I felt like that has a lot of times introduces such a cranky or tense or whatever type of brain energy, like this anxiety. And she was so devoid of any of that anxiety. So I was like, how do you do that? Because I'm always having that tension to just get off altogether or just OD and overdose on it. And then like feel like crap after. And then she said, what I do is like, I only go on with purpose as in, if I want to like find out what's happening in the news today, I just go in and I look for that. Or if I want to raise awareness about something. So I said, before I even log in, I say like, what am I going on right now for? You know, and then once I do that, but she said like, if I just go on just to go on, then I end up in that horrible space. If I just go on just to, cause I'm bored and let's see what I find. You know, she says like pulling a, uh, a jackpot lever. You just keep putting the lever until something happens. And what I found very interesting is in one of your blogs, you said something very similar. And I thought it'd be interesting to hear you uh, elaborate about it, about your thought. Because I agree with what you said in this vlog. It sounded a lot like what this girl said about doing two things at once, which I do all the time. Yeah. No, we all want to, yeah, because we want to get stuff done. But you have, if you devote your whole mind to something, you will realize the degree to which it's satisfying you, and then you can adjust to that. And and I think, like, when I say to people get offline for internet stuff, or, or get offline for political stuff, it really makes them panic because the politics in their mind are important to them, and they're important things in their life and their their politics mean something to them uh it's an identity tentpole but if they don't have the internet to go and tweet things and retweet things and read articles and get annoyed and, and say things to people and express themselves and be replied to then they aren't going to feel that that's identity is being expressed and that's going to create anxiety in them it's going to make them feel like they're not living up to their values 
and their their sense of self. And that is then when you have to, and if you feel that way, that is where you can start from in trying to figure out what to do. And it's either it's and it's a it's some degree of one of two things: you either don't really believe the things that you think you th- you believe, maybe you only believe them because you saw other people say them online, and you, you get part of your identity from just reaffirming that. And now that you're sitting there in the cold light of day and there's no more retweets and there's no more faves to be had for it and it doesn't give you anything, you don't really feel that you have this driving urge to see that that idea exemplified in your life. Maybe you never really did believe in that. Or you still do have those beliefs, but you don't know what to do, which join the club. None of us do, but at least you're looking at your life. You're looking around yourself and then maybe you no, start from no, there. This is the thing. People people are not doing that. This is actually what's pissing me off so much. And, you know, I, I, I whenever I hear the siren song of the Internet or like uh, social media and I come back, I don't even know why I do because it's the same shit. People can't get off their fucking hobby horses, right? So, uh, you know, people who, who uh, think that uh, Trump needs to be locked up, they're saying, oh, well, I, I guess I guess y'all are sick of the fact that you didn't you didn't help nominate Kamala Harris. She could have done something about Trump or that uh, one of Elizabeth Warren's policies could have magically saved us or there's like a, there's a million different things that people believe. Like if that had just been the thing that was done prior to the law lockdown would have saved us all. And it's getting to the point now where like every time I log on, it's basically just a rage fest because I'm looking at the things that people are saying and I'm like, you don't know shit. You actually don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You have no idea what policies would have brought us out of this because the track that we were already on to begin with that began with these technocratic ass neoliberal solutions was what got us here in the first place. You don't know what you're talking about, but they can't get off that track. So when you say they don't know what to do, I think they do know what to do. And that's just to keep saying the same shit. Does that make sense, or am I just? Oh my god! No, that's one hundred percent true. That's why we're back to twenty seventeen because the Bernie campaign temporarily gave people something else to argue about, and then when it was over, because nothing had been learned and nothing could be learned, because all the positions had to be reaffirmed every moment and could never be moved away from towards the synthesis, then you just flew right back with no advancement forward and no progress, which is what the internet, which which is what internet uh, political discourse is doomed to do. It can't do anything other than that because the incentive structures of the websites that we utilize to have these conversations are literally created to not allow it. They're created to, to make a uh, a competitive framework of individual sort of social entrepreneurship that does not allow for working through problems to a conclusion. It only benefits from problems being reinstated over and over again so that people can be reaffirmed in a hierarchy of, of the war tribe. That's Okay, so... Now that you bring that up, and now that I've talked about uh, the K-Hive, and God forbid they should even hear, like, I'm pretty sure that me having said it, like, someone's ears just perked up, but I've been getting into it with, like, various corners of the internet, and they're one of them, and part of the reason that I think if uh, people have seen me being combative on the internet is because I'm just trying to show that, like, none of these people actually know jack shit, like, they, they don't actually... Uh, have any answers, but they're they're going to log on and just browbeat people to death with the same old bullshit. So, for example, when uh, Kamala was saying that, uh, you know, if uh, her Lyft Act would have helped people um, with a six hundred dollar per month benefit, completely leaving out that it's a it's a means tested uh, program. I think you have to you have to make at least three thousand dollars, and then if you're if you're a couple, then it, the combined amount would be either six or twelve hundred dollars. I forget offhand, but it's 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 one of those means tested to help pro- 
programs that very few people would actually qualify for. And people were really pushing this hard. And I had to step in and just be like, there's, I, there's, not, there's absolutely no way you should take Kamala Harris seriously. It, as someone who is the daughter of a Marxist economist from Stanford who produced multiple books, dozens of papers that talk about the material conditions of blackness in America, you can't just pitch a you know, one size fits all solution. Oh, hey, this Lift Act, you know, helps black people, uh, you know, in a way that reparations wouldn't, or this Lift Act would have helped people uh, through uh, not having employment or not being able to get their full employment benefits because they've been furloughed or had their hours cut but not fully unemployed. It's like, no, but her, her dad's actual papers explained how these technocratic bullshit solutions are designed to cover up the fact that racism is inherent to the reproduction of capital. And like the fact that she couldn't even draw on her, and one of the reasons that I'm, I'm so adamant about this is because uh, her dad is from the same parish in Jamaica that my family is from. So there, he's actually uh, really well respected there. Um, but he He's, he's written multiple papers about the conditions in Jamaica and about how, you know, neoliberal technocracy basically like destroyed the economy of the island and has also talked about how racism uh, combined with the lack of class analysis in America has created like immiserating conditions. And the fact that nobody's willing to acknowledge this is what helps uh, reproduce the cycle. I got into that with, with a bunch of people and... I just ended up getting a call to misogynist anyway. So, but it's like they cannot get off the, the hobby horse. No, no one can because the alternative would be either having to stop and look around, examine your life, examine where you think you could do good, examine your preconceived notions uh, and what your pol- where you where your politics actually come from and what you actually believe in. That's a tough cha- that's a challenge, especially since there's no guarantee it's going to work out. There's no guarantee that you're going to be able to find something rewarding to do. There's no guarantee that your efforts will be rewarded in any way, the way that they are every single day, every time you post. There's an instant reward for every post. You you might not have any reward, but it still, in the long run, will get you closer to really embodying a politics than and, and any amount of short-term pleasure you can get from reaffirming it online. And, but I think that's kind of what happens with those people is that they're not doing what Matt is talking about. And what I, what I mean by that is like like what, what what Matt was saying to me is similar to what like this girl was saying. But you said something in one of your vlogs that I thought was very similar to what this girl was saying was what was you said if you're going to scroll or be online, just do nothing but that. Don't watch movies at the same time. Don't do it while you do five other things. Just be on Twitter, and then you'll quickly see how unsatisfying or anxiety-producing it um, actually is. But, you know, and if you watch a movie, just watch a movie without Twitter, without five screens open, and you get to kind of see how much actual pleasure am I getting from, you know, any of these activities. And then you get to really kind of see, like, what is this uh, giving to my life? But you said the same thing with politics. If you're going to do politics, try to do them online with the constant echo chamber or feedback or social entrepreneurship happening at the same time with Twitter. Like, sit in that that political impotence. If I'm getting what you're saying wrong... No, that's co- exactly it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Feel free to course correct me at any time. And I think what Andre's describing with those K-Hive people, they are... What you describe is an example of not being able to just sit in, like, you know, what I'm actually feeling now. Like, what I'm actually feeling that's driving me to just chase down anybody that hates Kamala, uh, Kamala and call them a misogynist and say that uh, some app that, 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 that Kamala proposed was going to save the world or whatever. Like, there's something that they're not sitting in, that they don't want to sit in. And it's, um, I, think it, I think it relates to that. Like, I think what um, Matt is saying is right, is just 
a lot of people, you know, you know what it's like, this is going to be some, maybe sound like a weird, weird analogy, but uh, I've been really fascinated by, I started looking at Doomer stuff, right, on YouTube. I saw some interesting Doomer cartoons, and you know YouTube has this autoplay rabbit hole that it um takes you down and i swear anything that has to do with the wojack or doomers all roads lead to nofap i feel like <laughs> nofap is all the internet's about and it sounds really crazy when you look at nofap because th- these people who think not looking at porn or not jerking off for like a day is going to give them superpowers and they have crazy videos like they won nofap and they put clips of limitless with bradley cooper and he's doing all this stuff. And, and they think like, uh, the, but they're not even saying this is what happens after you don't beat off for a month. Or this is what happens after you don't beat off for six months. They put stuff like uh, one day, no fap. And they showed a guy like levitating. And I thought it was spoof at first, a parody. And the more that I fell into it, I said, oh, no wait, this is actually kind of earnest. And I feel like that's kind of what going on Twitter to talk politics is like for a lot of people. Like, like that there needs to be some kind of like online brain version of nofap you know but i feel like but i feel like the problem is because they're so programmed that way that they even turn that into something extreme so 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 i think they're on the right track in that maybe you shouldn't look for constant stimulation constant distraction all the time but i know that the way people with brains are programmed now because of those same things of instant gratification or whatever they were turning that being offline thing into another toxic movement you know well that's the problem yeah problem is, is that people aren't able to just be anymore i mean that's not a, that's not okay boomerism you are more by being stimulated like a stimulus is a response and a stimulus response in terms of media is is a pleasurable one because you wouldn't look at it otherwise and that you're getting that way way more than any human ever did and that means things in terms of your ability to concentrate on think about any this. topic th- 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 on think any, about this really on any behavior or activity or thought yeah think about this before the internet like the average guy before 30 probably saw like six sets of boobs right yeah, you'll see that like before you brush your teeth now. Yeah, and like th- th- we are f- fooling ourselves if we don't think that that has a desensitizing impact. We know it does. It's just it's so omnipresent that it doesn't even make sense to say anything about it because you you just sound like a like a trad cath weirdo. But it's just it's it's uncontested in everyone's un, uh, subconscious. Yeah, and I feel like what you described about what we need to do, like um, take time off, sit in that space. Uh, do your politics offline. I think it's actually the right thing to do, but I'm so worried that our brains have been so altered by this constant stimulation that we'll find a way to fuck that up and make it into a new social entrepreneurship or a new toxic, like, like this, the same way NoFap is. Like, same thing with Jordan Peterson. Uh, I think you've talked about this too. Like, in the heart of Jordan Peterson, there is something that's kind of right in there as far as lost common sense, but he's doing it for this new reactionary internet era and somehow like little things like cleaning your room have a purpose. All this stuff has just become this, it's, it's intertwined with that nofap stuff. It's, it's well, that's what they the, have in common. Yeah. What, Sorry, what, yeah, go ahead. What, what nofap and Jordan Peterson have in common is that they say, here's a thing you could do. Uh, and, and in both cases, the advice they have is on the, is in its, in its particulars. Correct. You should not be seeking gratification all the time by jacking off when he, every time you're even mildly horny or bored. That's bad. That's why that's like one of the, one of the lab uh, mice that just bashes his head against the, the bars until he dies. Don't do that. Also, clean your room because having some control over your physical environment gives you a sense and awareness of the world around you and, and centers you. But then the next step for NoFap is uh, go and Reddit and talk about how you didn't jack off. And so uh, nothing has been fixed because you're still doing the same facile uh, stimulation 
on on the internet, you're just not using your dick. You're still fapping. You're yeah, exactly. Intellectually it, fapping. Exactly. It's an intellectual with, uh, with Jordan Peterson, he says, "Clean your room, fight your dragon." And by the way, the reason that you're not getting laid is is not is because of evil Marxists on the internet. Go fight them. And so you you're boom. You're back. You're back in your room. Uh, even if the room's clean now, you're back there having the same sterile interactions with online. Both both of them are a closed loop. Like the idea is that you 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 have to detach yourself from finding validation through an internet identity in the first place, and that is an incredible. I know that's an incredibly high hurdle, and it's nothing. It's not. It's not anything that I think anyone could realistically even do cold turkey it's all about degrees it's all about uh, uh percentages and and it's about slow and inexorable shifts in in focus and attention and and that can happen if you apply if you're conscious basically if you're not just going on autopilot if you are consciously doing things like if you're on twitter just being on twitter until it stops being fun and then instead of just trying to find a thing to even out the boredom stop but 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 also when you say be on Twitter till it stops being fun, you mean be on Twitter as in I'm just gonna do nothing right now. Yeah. But be on Twitter, not yes. be on Twitter and watch a movie. No, exactly. Not be on Twitter because I think that's what kind of keeps people from not realizing how ungratifying things are is by multitasking all of it. So I would I would wager that ninety percent of the dumbest inter, uh, uh, internet hot or the the dumbest political hot takes you've ever seen from every side of the uh, aisle. From, from the ridiculous anime Nazi to a K Hive member to to a uh, to a, a cringy Bernie bro to, to an ultra left uh, uh, tanky or whatever, uh, there was some TV blaring in the background when they did it. I told I totally agree, and and that's that it ruins TV too. Like I um I rewatched. I rewatched the show um, Mad Men, right? And I know, like, you have some thoughts about Prestige TV. Maybe we can get to them. And I actually agree with I actually agree with a lot of what you said about Prestige TV about how even the best of it is kind of shallow. But one thing I found interesting, right, was I rewatched Mad Men under quarantine, and as I watched it, there was a depth there that I didn't see before. Like, like when when I I mean, it's still not as deep as a lot of people said, but before it was just a game of what can I recognize, what reference can I recognize or whatever. And then I'm going to go to read Seepenwall or read Mo Ryan, uh, recap it and, and compare my notes to theirs. Then I'm going to go in the comment section. And it was kind of like this kind of um, masturbatory thing and stuff. But when I was watching it now and there's no online culture to go with it, so I can't just uh, spend a bunch of time on Twitter or on blog on whatever talking about the episode before it comes, then live tweet it as I watch it then read all the recaps as it drops, then talk to other people about it. Like basically all I was doing was I was watching hours of it on end. When I watched it like that, all those little stupid details, um, those instant gratification details that I had to keep running online to talk about, they kind of faded away. And then it kind of started feeling a little bit more like a novel. Like I started saying, oh, this is like what Matt Wiener's brain is. This this is a this is a story of um boomers working out issues with their parents that's what this whole thing is this thing is just a giant tapestry of the boomer brain and their issues with their parents and when i looked at it like that i'm like oh this is an interesting psychological document like not even the details of what did don do this time or whatever but just watching it like that but yeah like not only does the movies and the tv like ruin the tweeting experience so you can't see how um boring or unfulfilled the tweeting stuff is the tweeting and the other stuff you're doing ruins other things where you can't see the richness in anything because like but i think what's interesting is 
I don't think Mad Men was originally, at least in the beginning, created for that reason. I think people made it with the pretensions of this is a long form movie. Like I think when people started with Prestige TV, whether they succeeded or not, they had this idea: we're creating this long form movie. You know, we're going to elevate TV, and you know whether they they succeeded is debatable. But now Prestige TV is created to be tweeted during. Like the whole thing's created for that. It's structurally made like that. Like even if you try to watch it fully engaged, it would be as unfulfilling as tweeting fully engaged. Yeah. Yeah, because it's 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 just algorithmically made to give you moments, and so everything else is is just there's nothing there. There's nothing to grab onto. If and that space is what you used to fill with just looking at your phone. Yeah, it, it, it's made to be uh, collapsed into gifts and put on Tumblr and Twitter. It's made to be uh, oh shit moments to be tweeted during. And yeah, I watch these new prestige shows and I try to be present during them. And I realize, like especially on Netflix, they're unbearable to watch. Yeah, without no, that's no, almost no, everything. The Netflix though. shows I mean, are unwashable. Yeah, that's almost everything. I mean, it's it's actually it's crept its way into literature as well. Like uh, it's it's literature, it's uh, political analysis. So a lot of these uh, these books that are coming out that are trying to like capture the uh, uh, like the, the status of our current moment. It's the same shit that it's designed to be screen capped and posted on Twitter or to be posted on Tumblr or wherever. It's not meant to be absorbed. You're right. The pages are meant to be screen capped. You're yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I didn't think about that. I'm gonna right. I say because I review books and it's it's something that I'm running into a lot more. Is that uh, there's like it's almost like there's individual passages that are stitched together. And the passages themselves are like, it almost feels like the writer wrote them in a jag for the purpose of them being screen capped. But the overarching thesis behind a lot of books, especially like political books, right? Uh, they There's no analysis and there's not really a solution. It's just, here is how things exist the way they are. One of the ones that I know I'm going to end up having to read is uh, Zerlina Maxwell's The End of White Politics. I'm fucking dreading that because- Oh, I'm about to do a show on it. So, so oh I, I'm going to read it. Too, so yeah 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 it's like the, the last the last really good book that i read that actually captured uh like something related to the political moment was dr shoshana zuboff's the age of surveillance capitalism i know i've like raved to you about this one like it actually identified a problem i uh, you know it, it it gave like the conditions that caused the problem to arise and gave some solutions to that but right now it's just it's almost like the problems that we're discussing whether it's uh quote-unquote crony capitalism or racism and white supremacy or uh, the homophobia, bigotry, or uh, bad foreign policy. It's all like these problems are described to arise out of a primordial goop, like just created by some like capricious demiurge. So we're always going to have them. And the best we can do is just figure a way out how to deal with it rather than identify them as specific problems that arose in a specific time and place and create whether it's ideologies or policies to combat them. But nobody ever wants to tackle a problem. They just want to talk about them or think about talking about them because I don't think they're actually talking about anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, totally. You know, I'll give you another example. I feel like this stuff changes with whatever the popular cultural distraction is. So I feel like um, Mad Men was made during the blogs era more than the Twitter era. Like by the time it ended, it was kind of in the Twitter era. And when blogs started even earlier, blogs were really long form. Like as blogs got to the end, they were kind of approaching what Twitter was, which is just like total uh micro stream of conscious vomit right and um you, you know, like the, the alan seppenwall blog for Men. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like the Alan Steppenwell blog and stuff like that. But even uh, so, it's like I feel like movies and and stuff used to go along with books, and I feel like TV started uh, corresponding with blogs, and now the stuff is being created with Twitter, which is and Tumblr, which is like 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 Tumblr is totally discombobulated, decontextualized. Um, orgasm of thought is there's, there's like nothing uh all it is is really just a bunch of like academic stuff that's been yanked out of texts uh you know run through a blender of uh like liberal bullshit and then just like post it up like here this is what the entire theory is you know just like tiny expert but but, but even the porn on tumblr is like so jarring like 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 i knew a guy that used to like look at stuff on tumblr and he was looking at his tumblr porn and it would just be a succession of gifts that were on six second loops and it would just be like a penis moving three inches into a vagina on loop. And I'm like, how do you even get turned on? Like, do people like jerk off to this? This is really fucking bizarre. Uh, like, this is the most- Hold on, text- and, and this person shared this with you? Well, yeah, because he was sharing a, he was sharing a site. He was like, uh, I guess it was this girl that he thought was hot. And he was like, oh man, this girl is so hot. I guess she was one of those, I guess it was the precursor to OnlyFans. She had her type of thing on there. And then, uh, because I was saying Tumblr sucks. And he goes, oh, Tumblr is good for porn. And I was like, Tumblr is not good for porn. And he's like, oh yeah, check this out. And I saw it. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> This is the most disturbing thing I've well, seen. Well, do I ever have a treat for you, my friend? <laughs> That's interesting friendship. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Roxanne Gay, right? Roxanne Gay, Bad Feminist, is an example of a book that I think was made during the blog era. So if you read Bad Feminist, as it's a pretty bad book to me, but compared to the... It's written like a blog. When you read it, each chapter is just like a blog post. Like, But a blog post compared to a tweet is... Um, it's like war and peace, you know? So it's, now that we have think, books being written for uh, Tumblr snapshots or for tweets, I think it's like way worse. Some of the books I read now. Because we went from a blog era when you and a forum era when people would come together, more or less equals, to bat things around. And that was, people liked it, but it was not actual liquid crack. And so the functions of likes and faves and retweets was introduced and of course then the destruction of specific area uh specific like uh tranches of of uh fandoms and and communities replaced with one giant forum that was just a recipe for every man for themselves and all god against all yeah exactly because i think that that type of i hate to use the term safe space but like i feel like a forum or a blog's comment sections kind of had like a safe space community to talk about things where somebody wasn't some stranger you never heard of wasn't waiting to jump in and score a point and you know his screen name was uh noun haver like you know like uh the discourse, the discourse discusser or the content lover, you know, or something <laughs> like that with some weird, um, indecipherably ironic, like profile or some overly earnest, like Tumblr girls profile, just running in to say, Hey, so are you saying that you want women to die? Or are you saying that black lives don't matter? Or are you saying all lives don't matter? Like you can just sit there and have a long comment, talk about stuff and kind of form things out in a blog or in a forum. Whereas Twitter is like bad faith city. You'd, you'd have to put a thousand disclaimers or overthink your post and someone will still come in. And <laughs> it take doesn't out a- matter what yeah. you do. It's happened to me. Like I, I ended up 
getting into a, 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 a small tiff with a larger Twitter personality uh, because I talked about uh, sexual assault against black men and they felt like I wasn't um, like I was erasing the experiences of black women in the way that I had phrased it. And it's like, well, it, it wouldn't have fucking mattered how I put it. Like somebody was going to take it that way anyway. So there's, there's, there's just no winning. And it, it, it gets to a point where you're just like, fuck it, just say what you want. Because it doesn't matter what you say, you're going to get bashed for it anyway. But picture writing a long form book with that Twitter mindset, which is how people, like like people are writing whole books and whole chapters, writing as blandly as possible for maximum engagement. Like like they're writing each paragraph like, like a tweet. And it's, uh, you end up reading a whole book and not feeling anything. I feel like Netflix shows are like that. I feel like Netflix shows are made for Twitter. You watch a whole series, and first off, it's too long, like most Twitter threads. And then when the series is done, you're like, okay, I guess I enjoyed watching that. I mean, I kept watching it, so I must have liked it. But like Matt says, you know, you were doing five other things the whole time you were watching it. So how much did you really like it? And then you, you can, uh, if you if you're kind of wondering why you're watching this, you can reaffirm it by going online to talk and write about and read about it. And that, that kind of gets you more pot committed to it. And you have to, you have to think less about whether... It's actually good. I was just going to, okay, I was just going to get there, which is, doesn't that, like, to you, create an environment where nothing is, is properly criticized? Like, ideas aren't actually uh, posited, but they also aren't criticized either. Like, everyone kind of waits for the consensus to form on a particular thing before they decide how they feel about it. Like, you ever seen, like, a movie uh, get, uh, like, a, like, a movie gets released, and people are like, oh, I really have to sit with this for a bit and and process this and figure it out. And they're treating this as they come out of the theater. I gotta, I gotta sit and process this for a bit. And really what they're doing is just, like, delaying, like, biding their time until somebody actually says something. Oh, God, that happens all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. mother, oh, God, those mother, those slimy little shitheads, they'll see some tentpole at a convention or something and say, hmm, lot to digest. Yeah. And, then after, and you're like, <laughs> I'm going to have to wait to see what will get me yelled at and then not say that. That's what yeah, I mean. <laughs> exactly. It's a fucking Marvel movie. Yeah, relax. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good. Be good.